Jade, come up here and push go live. Just push go live. Go live. Just push go live. Got it. All right, thank you, son. Now, turn to Matthew chapter number 8. Matthew chapter number 8 and verse number 11 is where we're going to begin. We've been studying concerning the kingdom of God, and we've looked a couple of messages at at what the kingdom of God is, and we're continuing with that very thought, what is the kingdom of God, as we continue in this this thought and this lesson tonight. Uh, We've seen already that it is a, a present thing, uh, a present reality, and it is also a future reality. It is a spiritual reality we've looked at, and it's also a physical reality that will come to pass. And we're going to be looking at those same things again tonight with a little bit more of a turn toward what is the definition of the kingdom of God. And I, there's, a, I think, an interesting point that uh, Merlin Heisel brings out, particularly in regards to what the term kingdom means and how it fits toward us as we read these things. And quite frankly, I've never, never seen it before. Uh, as I've studied the, concerning the kingdom, exactly what is being said there, particularly in a couple of verses that are very familiar to us. But we begin here in, in Matthew chapter 8. In verse number 11, he says, I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, now, of course, this we've looked at this verse uh, last couple of times as we've considered the kingdom of God. And we find this verse here is simply declaring it as a simple declaration by the Lord Jesus that the kingdom is not just of the Jews. That that it is made up of all nations, people from all nations coming in to that kingdom. And so he he says there that, that, uh, speaking particularly of the Jews, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob there, he mentions them, those are those forefathers of the kingdom of God, of those those first that God had chosen unto himself, those that, that it's all centered around as far as Judaism is concerned, as far as the history of Israel is concerned, it's right here with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But then he says there will be people coming from the east and the west and shall sit down with them in the kingdom of heaven. So he's he's declaring to them there that the Gentiles will be brought into that kingdom as well. That it's not just a Jewish kingdom. It is God's kingdom. And he is bringing both Jew and Gentile alike into this kingdom. And so this, this is one of the realities of the kingdom of God. The kingdom, as we've already kind of looked at, is both present and it is future. Um, there's, it is a, a present spiritual reality that we belong to as the children of God. And it's also a future reality into which God's children will enter in the return of Christ to the earth. The the future coming kingdom is a kingdom uh, that is 
remarkable in itself. As we looked already at some of those verses that Isaiah describes for us about what the kingdom will be like and its peace and its tranquility as, as, as the, the living on the, the earth at that time, how it will be changed in the kingdom, the physical kingdom of the Lord Jesus. But we see it, it, is, a, it is a kingdom of great glory as well. Go over to Matthew 13. And look with me here at a few verses. Uh, in fact, there in chapter 13, uh, the Lord is teaching some, some parables there. And those parables, most all of them are dealing with the kingdom of God. And so if you've not read through uh, chapter 13 there of Matthew in a while, uh, go, go read some of those Go read some of those, those parables there in Matthew 13 as he speaks to these issues. But notice in chapter 13, verse 41, down through verse number 43. He says, The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now this we know this based on Matthew 25, as we've looked at already, that division of the nations there that will take place at the beginning of the Lord's millennial kingdom, when He the, describes for us there in Matthew 25 a division of the sheep and the goats, the, the sheep on His right hand, the goats on His left, those of, the, of His sheep will enter into His kingdom, those of the goats will be cast out. And this is what's being described even here, in verse 41 down through verse number 43. Those who are the righteous are the sheep. They will be those that will enter into the kingdom. That will be those that will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. But those of, those are the workers of iniquity, are those that offend. He says there in verse number 41, that's those goats that will be cast out there. Uh, and be cast into the furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth in description of hell itself that they will be cast into. This is, this is the beginning of that physical kingdom when that will take place when the Lord divides those nations there, the sheep from the goats as described for us in Matthew 25. So this is a, a kingdom that we as the children of God are looking forward to because of the blessings that we find herein. The things that are told to us concerning that kingdom. The fact that it is, that it is the, the kingdom of our God. Uh, it, it, it's, it should be precious to us that we are looking for and desiring to be in that kingdom of our, our, our God and His dear Son, and Christ Jesus is that one who will rule and reign over that kingdom. He's given that position, given that kingship over it, having earned that position 
when he came and lived on this earth in flesh, likened to sinful flesh, but that no sin had entered into him, and went to the cross for us, living a perfect, righteous life, and there on that cross took upon himself our sin, became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He is the one that has accomplished that for us. And so He is given that throne to reign in this kingdom uh, uh, that, that will be a physical kingdom in His return to the earth when He comes and actually sits foot upon the kingdom. It, that part of the kingdom is yet future. It's something that is yet to come. We know there are things, there are events that's going to take place before that that happens, as is described for us in Revelation chapter number 19 and chapter number 20, as he describes these events that's going to unfold in his coming to the kingdom. We realize there are things that have to take place before then. There are things that's going to that are, are positioned. Uh, the prophecies that will be un, unfolded before then, but it is something we, as the children of God, should be looking forward to. This this coming future reality uh, of the kingdom of God that that will be physical on this earth. But the lost are not looking for this kingdom. It's not what they're looking for. It's not what they're desiring to see. Uh, they, 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 it's not even really on their radar uh, because they simply do not know Christ. In Luke 17, Luke chapter number 17, verse 20 and 21. Luke 17, verse 20 and 21. It says, When he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. It begins there. It's within us as the children of God. It's in us. And so the, the, the world, the lost, those that are without Christ, they're not looking for it because it's not in them. It's not a reality for them. But for us as the children of God, we are looking for it because it is a reality in us. We know we belong to this kingdom, you see. And so it's a reality for us. As I said that there in, in Matthew 13, there are many parables there that the Lord speaks to. You can also read it in Luke chapter 13 as well. He has those same parables there. And you can compare those when you read through those two. But those are those parables of the kingdom. And he gives several examples of what the kingdom of God will be like and what it is like. Uh, even in that day as well, being that future uh, and also that present reality. Uh, Jesus said to Pilate on his arrest, as they brought uh, him before Pilate, that was part of the questioning. Uh, The Jews were trying to get the... uh, get the Romans on their side, so they were saying he's trying to take Caesar's place. 
He's trying. He's trying to demand people worship him instead of Caesar, and they were trying to they were trying to manipulate the Romans there to help them in their cause to rid themselves of Jesus. And here in John eighteen and verse number thirty six. Uh, Well, let me back up just a little bit, and we'll read we'll read some of these other verses that go with it. Verse, verse number thirty-three. Let's go back up there and read. It says, "Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the King of the Jews?" And Jesus answered him, "Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it of thee? Tell it, tell tell it be of me, right?" Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priest have delivered thee unto me. What hast, what hast thou done? I said, I don't know. He said, they, they, this, this, they brought you. Your own people have brought you to me. And I'm just saying, are, are, you, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth, Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And so he, Jesus said, my kingdom's not this. If it was of this world, his army would have been there fighting. But he's, it wasn't a physical thing at this point. It will be, but it wasn't at this point. In fact, you might say he's in this, this work that he was doing here and and what would come even that very day as he would go to the cross uh, for us, he was building his kingdom. My kingdom's not of this world. And so this was that that reality that it was a spiritual thing at this point. The kingdom of God is the very teaching of it is we find even in this very verse, verse 36, we find it is a complex thing. Because it is two different realities. One present, one future, and yet it's talking about the same thing. It's the exact same thing. One, one we enter into now as the children of God, the, the other we will be in and take part of physically when He comes again. And so this, this is somewhat complex when we begin to break down exactly what is the kingdom of God. Again, the kingdom is a present reality. As Matthew chapter number 12 and verse number 28. Matthew 12 and verse number 28. Jesus says here, But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, 
then the kingdom of God is come unto you. He says, if I'm doing this, then the kingdom of God is present. The kingdom of God is present. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. So it's a present reality. And yet we read in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 50, But it is future as well. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. And so there's a, a present entering in, a present reality that we have entered into, and then there's a future entering into or inheriting even that physical reality of the kingdom of God as well. It's an inner spiritual, redemptive blessing that comes to us in salvation. He says in John, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 14 and verse number 17, Romans 14, verse 17, he says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace, joy. That's, that is the kingdom of God, he says. Those, those attributes that are associated with it. And it's this, this blessing of, this spiritual blessing of righteousness, peace, and joy that comes to us in entering into the kingdom of God is experienced by us at the new birth. That's where it comes to us at. John chapter 5, verse number 3. John 5 and verse number 3. The Lord says, or I should say John says here, as he's writing these things concerning uh, the healing that took place there at the pool of Bethesda, he says, in these... Well, let me read here. I'm in the wrong verse, I think. John 5. No, John 3 is where I want to go. My goodness. John 3. John 3, 3. John 3, 3. Maybe that didn't look right. John 3, 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again. There it is. He cannot see... The kingdom of God. And so it is in that new birth when we we are brought in or we experience those blessings of the kingdom of God in us. And yet, we have it at the new birth and yet there it will concern the world it will concern the governments of the nations of the world uh, when it is realized in its physical reality. Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter number 11 and verse number 15. Revelation 11 and verse number 15. 
Bible says the seventh angel sounded. And there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord, and He shall reign forever and ever. Says. So it will concern the ruling of this world physically, you see. And so this, this is that, that reality of it being present, being spiritual, and yet future and physical. We see this throughout the Scriptures as it's being described to us. The kingdom is entered into by men now. Uh, again, at the new birth, we enter into the into the kingdom of God, and we will enter it, as we read there in Matthew chapter number eight, verse eleven. We will enter it tomorrow, uh, and and it's so it's a, a a spiritual present reality, a future physical reality that we, as the children of God, are in and will enter that we have. And will inherit. These are the realities of the kingdom of God. It is the gift of God which will be bestowed by God in the future. As we see there in Luke chapter number 12. Luke 12 and verse number 32. Luke 12 and verse 32. It is a gift of God which will be bestowed by God uh, in the future. He says, fear not, little flock. This is the Lord speaking. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so it's something that it will be bestowed in the future, and yet... In order to have it in the future, it must be received in the present, in the here and now, in order to have it in the future, you see. We have to be a part of it spiritually before we can enter into it physically. So it becomes evident, becomes evident that this, as we read here these examples of what the kingdom of God is, how it can be a little bit complex is a good word, convoluted even in some, some uh, reality when you're trying to piece it and put it together what it is. Uh, the modern definition of kingdom does not really fit the, the, the biblical definition of kingdom. Let me, let me try to give you an example here. The modern Webster Dictionary says that the kingdom, or a kingdom, is a state or monarchy, the head of which is a king, dominion, or realm. And the second meaning is belonging to a given realm. Well, there's aspects of that that 
fit, but it doesn't explain it really well. Um, the old Webster gives this definition, and it fits more with what scripture, the scripture definition. The old Webster says it is the rank, quality, state, or attributes of a king, royal authority, dominion, monarchy, kingship. So in modern language, uh, in modern language, this, this definition, though it may sound archaic, this definition fits more because God's kingdom refers to His reign, His rule, His sovereignty, and not to the realm that it's exercised over. In other words, when we're speaking of God's kingdom, it's not talking about the realm that it is or what falls under it but rather it points to Him and who He is. And so when we speak of His kingdom, it's more about Him than it is about what, He said. It's more about the one ruling than it is the one that is, or about the, the, the place where it is at. It is speaking of His attributes. It is speaking of His sovereignty. It is speaking of His right of rulership. It is speaking of His reign. So it's, it's more about who He is and less about what He's ruling over, you see. Um, Psalm 103. Look with me at a couple of verses here that speak to this. Psalm 103 and verse number 19. Psalm 103 and verse 19. The Lord hath prepared His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom ruleth over all. You see, because it, God's kingdom focuses on Him, upon who He is, upon His attributes, upon His power, upon His sovereignty, because that's the focus. He's the one that determines the realm, you see. He's the one that establishes His throne. He's the one that determines this is what I'm going to rule over, or this is mine, you see. Because of who He is, He is the one that declares the realm of that kingdom, you see. And so it's about Him and not so much about the realm itself. The Lord hath prepared His throne in the heavens and His kingdom ruleth over all. Psalm 145. Look with me there. Psalm 145 and verse number 11. Psalm 145 verse 11 and verse 13. Verse 11, first says, They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy 
power. See, he's the one in focus there. Verse 13, thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. How is that the case? Because of him. Not because of his realm. Not because it's all running just like, like it's supposed to. Not like everybody else is doing their part and he's just kind of over it, you see. That's not the case. It's because of him that it is an everlasting kingdom. It's because of him that it lasts forever and ever, you see. It, it all comes back to him. He is the focus. He, it is his kingdom. It is, his, it is because of him that it is everlasting. It is because of him that it endureth throughout all generations. And so the kingdom, when you say God's kingdom, it refers more to Him than it does what He rules over. Now that's important when we come to what the Scripture teaches us concerning our part in the kingdom, you see. Um, Again, the word kingdom does not refer to the realm or to the people but rather to the authority, to the power, to the sovereignty of the one that is ruling. I'll give you an example. Go over to Luke 19. Luke 19 and verse number 11 and verse number 12. Luke 19. The Lord teaches a parable here. And this parable is about a, a noble man that goes to seek a kingdom. And he says here in verse 12, <coughs> Luke 19, verse, I'm sorry, verse 11 as well. We're in verse 11, verse 12. It says, As they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So what's, he's not going to go pick up his castle and bring it back with him. That's not what's, He's going to get authority to be a king. And he's coming back with that authority to take his realm, you see. He's coming back with that authority as king to say, okay, here I am. I have my kingship now. This is mine. He said. This is what the Lord's describing to us here. It's about his authority. It's about his, his, his person. It's about his attributes. It's about his reign. It's about, it's about his sovereignty. It's not about the realm or even the people that is a part of that realm. Now, Mark chapter 10 and verse number 15. Mark chapter 10 and verse number 15. Now this is where this, this, this meaning is important to how it applies to us. Because we're, we're told that we will inherit this kingdom. We're told that we are to press into this kingdom. We're told that we are a part of this kingdom. This kingdom is given to us by 
the Spirit of God in our new birth. That it is a, a present reality, spiritually, a future reality, physically, that we belong to this kingdom. Well, this, is, this is where this is important. How this definition fits now in, in how it concerns us. In, in Mark chapter 10, verse number 15, notice what he says here in this verse. He says, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. What is received? Notice again, he says, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God. What is it that we receive? Is it heaven? Is it church? What is it that's received? Well, if kingdom goes back to who God is, His power, His authority, His rule, His sovereignty, then what is it that we are receiving? We're receiving His rule, His power, his authority. In other words, when we enter into the kingdom of God, we are putting ourselves, we are, we are being brought in under His headship. And so when we've received the kingdom of God, what we are acknowledging is I am under the rule of God. He is my King. You see? That's what it means to receive that, that kingdom. It's not about... At this point especially, it may be some about that later on, but it's not about what I'm going to get out of this. In fact, when we do receive rewards in His kingdom, we recognize, as Revelation chapter 5 teaches us, we recognize that it's un- we're unworthy to have rewards for that kingdom. That it wasn't us. That anything we've done, anything that was accomplished through us for the glory of God was only by God. It was by His power. And the Scripture tells us there in Revelation 5 that that the Lord Jesus puts the crowns upon the heads of His people there, rewarding them for their service. And the Bible tells us that they cast their crowns back at His feet. Why are they casting their crowns back at His feet? That, that word crown is the, word, the Greek word stephanos. It's reward. It's, it's what uh, 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 stephanos is what you would see in the, the old games, the Greek games there, what the Olympic games have come from, where they would give them a garland there of olive branches that they would wear upon their head. That garland was a stephanos. That was the award for the, the, the job they did in, their, in that particular game. Well, that's, that's, that's what the Lord is giving us. He's given us those stephanos, those rewards for the work that we've performed. And they, in turn, after receiving those stephanos, just wasn't one, there's many that He is putting upon their heads, and they're casting them back at His feet. And why are they casting him back at his feet? Because they're in that they are declaring, Lord, I'm not, I don't, I'm not worthy of this. And in fact, in the Greek, when it's talking about him putting him on their heads, it's a continual putting upon their heads. 
Why is it a contempt? Because they're cost No, Lord, no. I, I don't deserve this. And he said, no, I'm giving it to you. But no, Lord, I, 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 it's all your power. It's all your... I didn't do any of this. is by your hand that this is... But I'm giving you this reward. And so he's putting it on their heads. It's a continual putting on, you see, of this reward for the, the work, for the service that was accomplished. And so this, this is something that is a part of that future reality. But even then, even when it is done, it, it is that realization that this is all of God. It's all of His power. And so when we receive the kingdom of God, we are receiving there the authority of God over us. We are receiving His authority over us. We are, we are under, and we are acknowledging that, that we are under His authority. He is my King. He is the one that leads me. He's the one that guides me. I, I do what He says to do. I follow Him. I am, Paul says, we are made ambassadors of His kingdom. Man, what a glorious thing. God has made us His ambassadors of His kingdom. There in the Second Corinthians chapter 5, He tells us that we are made ambassadors of that. But, it, but, but we, are, we are under His authority. That's what we've received, the authority of God over us. That's what we received there. Now look also, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 33. This is a familiar verse to you. You've seen this. How many times you probably got this memorized? Probably one that you quote often. Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek ye first. So what is the object of our seeking, of our quest? What is it that we're trying to find? Heaven? Church? Blessings? No. When we are seeking the kingdom of God... We are seeking His reign in our lives. It's not just, it's not just looking for things about God. It's not just looking for good things that we learn about. That's not what seeking His kingdom is. Seeking His kingdom is looking, looking for God reigning in us. And where we find, I'm employing my reign instead of His to seek the kingdom of God is to renounce my reign and acknowledge His. It is that dying to self. It is that dying to the flesh. And living unto Christ. That's what seeking the kingdom of God is about, you see. 
It is about that reality that we are seeking His reign in us. To be obedient unto Him in our lives. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. We pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That very prayer that the Lord teaches us, that model that He teaches us there, is a declaration of us desiring God's rule. Not only on this earth, not only in heaven, but in our lives. That we desire His rule. That means I can't rule. That means i got to put self down. That means I've got to put self aside. That means I've got to, I've got to give myself to the leadership of my Lord. He rules. He reigns. He's king. Not me. Not you. He's king. Again, this realm is both present, it's both future, and it is a realm concerning who our God is in His power, in His authority, in His attributes, and in His sovereignty, and in us being in it, us being a part of it, us seeking after it is about us being under the reign, under the headship, under the authority of our God. Listen, every single creature, every single creature in God's creation has Him as King. Has Him as God. They're not out. Of his leadership. They're not from under his reign. He is king over it all. But for his people, for those that belong to him, the difference is we look for his reign over us and we desire his reign over us. That's what it means to seek, that's what it means to enter in. We desire God's rule over our lives. We desire His rule over our lives. We see the opposite of that in Psalm chapter 2. Look with me quickly there. This is a familiar psalm to you. This is one that you probably know pretty well. This one is so stark for me when we consider this idea of the rebellion of man and the rebellion of this world against God. We see that here in chapter 2 as David writes these things. He says, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? What is the vain thing that they are imagining? They're imagining that they don't have to bend, they don't have to obey the rule of God. 
That's the vain thing they are imagining. And this is what they come up with in this thing. It says, The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying... Now notice who it is. It's the kings of the earth. They set themselves. In other words, they declare their authority. They put themselves in place, and they say, I rule. I reign. This is this is my realm. This is I do this how I want to do it. I lead as I want to. Do it. I'm king. They set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against His anointed, saying, "Let us break their bands asunder." And cast away their cords from us. That's how they view God's reign. They view it as something binding them. They view it as something that's got them all tied up. They view it as something that's holding them back. They view it as something that's keeping them from being what they want to be. That's the mindset of the wicked. It's the mindset that God's people can have if they are given to themselves. You allow too much of the flesh, you'll find yourself thinking the exact same Adam and Eve did it. They believed the lie of Satan and they said, God's holding us back. Excuse me. Eve thought that. Adam was not fooled. The Bible tells us that clearly. He knew exactly what he was doing. But Eve thought that. She thought, well, God's holding me back. Look at that fruit. That thing can make me wise. That can make me know more than I know now. That thing right there can make me like God. I don't need God to rule over me any longer. I can rule over myself if I eat that fruit. To be like Him. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens, the real King, the one that does reign, the one that does have all power, the one whose kingdom it is, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. And the Lord shall have them in derision. This is not the laughing of God that you want to hear. This is, this is a laughter of wrath. A laughter of wrath. I can't. I try to imagine what it would... I can't even begin to imagine what it would sound like. He laughs at their insolence. He laughs at their vanity. He laughs that they could have such a thought that they could cast Him off. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. 
the Lord shall have them in derision. Doesn't matter what authority they claim. Doesn't matter what authority man may claim. God is the one with the authority. He is the one that rules. He is God. He is King. Then shall He speak unto them in His wrath and vex them in His sore displeasure. Yet have I set my King upon my holy hill of Zion. They didn't have an authority to set themselves, as verse 1 tells us. They didn't have a right to establish their own king. God has established His king. He has established His king. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. That's the king. Christ Jesus our Lord. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. In other words, seek His kingdom. Enter His kingdom. Put yourself under the authority of the Most High God. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and ye perish from the way. When His wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in Him. For they have sought His kingdom. They have entered in His kingdom. They recognize His authority, His reign over them, and they rejoice in His reign. Let's all stand. We'll be dismissed.